On this episode of Tomorrow's Stories, Alina Schartner. Alina Schartner is a color and design direction expert who works for international brands in color forecasting. On this episode, she will give insights into the process of finding which colors are next, and she will talk about how colors are crucial for brands. She will also explain how brands can be sustainable in a world of ever-changing color trends. Here we go. Just to dive in there straight away, color is the single most important parameter within design, full stop. It is the first thing people notice about anything. It's the first thing that captures you uh, like on an emotional level. Obviously, everything I'm going to say now, I have to make maybe explain it a little bit. That's obviously for visually not impaired people. But if you are um, able to, to fully see, then about 80 to 90% of all the information you ever take in is actually visual. And we know from really in-depth research that about 90% of all purchasing decisions are really down to a product's color. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not only the color, but the itself really has that strong of an impact. So when brands understand how they communicate with color, they can really make sure that their message is understood. And at the end of the day, it's often the colors that are chosen that will make or break whether the storytelling around the product or service is actually believable. Before we start, here's a little shout out to my production partner. This podcast is produced by the music and brand strategists at Raven and Finch. Together, we've created this format. And if you're looking for someone to advise you on your brand's sound, check them out. All infos about them can be found in the show notes below. Add it up. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tomorrow Stories. My name is Lizzie Prem and you are listening to the Tomorrow Story podcast where I talk to some of the most cutting-edge people and disruptors about what's new and what's next for us tomorrow. This episode's topic is colors. Colors is actually one of the areas of trend forecasting that is associated with our business of future trends the most. If you ask anyone out on the streets, what are future trends they would most likely associate it with? Trendy colors. A shop owner might ask, which color sweaters should I buy for my clients next spring? Or even for anyone, you would just think like, what sort of colors should I wear next season to be trendy? It's something that concerns us in everyday life, and it's something which is, as I said before, associated with trend forecasting the most, and also so famously shown in The Devil Wears Prada, where Miranda Priestley, the horrible boss, talks about how a certain sweater color made its way into mainstream. There is actually a huge process behind it, and trend forecasting is a very, very fascinating area of trend forecasting. Alina is an absolute expert, and I'm really happy that she's here today to share with us the process behind it all. 
Myself, I've seen it 20 years ago when I went to uh, these train fairs in Paris or London, when I used to work for Swarovski. Uh, of course, we had to find out which color crystal needs to be produced for the next seasons. We were always two years ahead. So uh, I was fascinated to see how these trend forecasters can translate certain moods, uh, certain cultural vibes that are going on at the moment into a certain color mood board. And this is what Alina Schartner does for big brands and uh, in an area in which she is expert in. So as you see now, there's so many color trends, there's so many new colors coming out. You kind of ask yourself as a brand, how can this still be sustainable? How can I still come up with cool and trendy colors uh, in a rhythm that is also sustainable? And Alina's going to share her take on this topic as well. So what color trends are we seeing right now? Well, uh, I'm sure you've come across the lavender, the very peri Pantone color of the year the metaverse lavender, as it's also called. And it kind of symbolizes our current uh, way of dealing with the digital, this kind of gateway that is opening up into the metaverse, which is a bit moody, but at the same time, a bit technical, a bit futuristic. So there's also a lot of silver, a lot of shiny kind of uh, color coding going on. And what's also really obviously uh breaking up right now is fun, bright colors, uplifting. Also uh, in fashion, in the Instagram grids, you kind of see a departure from this pandemic. People want to laugh. People want to be entertained. People want to have fun again. You also see it in the makeup color trends at the moment, which are very Gen Z influenced. This color pop that is going on heavily influenced by the US TV series Euphoria, which is actually a really dark youth culture series. But the makeup is just so on point, Gen Z, fun, happy, uh, colorful, what we're seeing right now. So as you already hear now in this pre-talk to the interview, it's really imperative for a brand to think about color. Starting from your logo, in any kind of business sector, in any kind of business uh, industry, it's uh, crucial that you think about what colors you use to represent your brands and also your products. So this episode is for you if you want to learn more about how color trend forecasting works why color is so crucial for your brand and how you should work with it, and also how you can be sustainable while following the ever-changing color trends. So let's hear it from the expert, Alina. Hello. Hi there. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I can see it's sunny in Vienna as well. Yes, yes, yes. We have a little bit of a sunny spell. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, so finally, <laughs> yeah, and uh, a little bit of explanation maybe because you're in Vienna, I'm in Salzburg, we're both Austrians, which is uh, actually very lovely that we met online <laughs> like this, but we're going to be speaking in English today because we think there's a lot of uh, people uh, also in other countries that would be interested in hearing about the future of color. So thank you so much for coming uh, on today. It's so thank great you. to have you here. I was just saying before, you're a design, color, and trend direction expert. So um, you work in trend forecasting, and one of your focuses is color and interior design. 
And um, you also do talks on Clubhouse. And that is actually how I came across your profile. I saw that you're doing all these talks. And I saw that you're doing one, uh, which is about Ask Me About Color. And uh, I thought that's uh, a really cool thing. So you do this regularly on Clubhouse uh, and, and people can come on and... Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so um, one of my really dear uh, colleagues within the industry, Rhiannon Jones and I, we have started a channel or a club on, on Clubhouse called Trend Forecasting. So anyone who's interested, you can find me on there with the same name, Alina Schartner. You can follow me and then also find the, the room there. So we have this regular club. We don't actually have a date where we always go on, but we mm -hmm. invite in to join us with uh, you know all their expertise and we share we share knowledge there and within that trend forecasting club I have started to do color talks as well because I mean essentially color just is so important for so many fields and that is a part within within this club but we also do other topics just anything to do with trend forecasting um, consumer behaviors, uh, design direction, and so on. So you need to look out on our, on our channel and we will always say what kind of topic to talk is this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone go and see uh, a, a look at Alina's uh, Instagram profile. It's, it's very, very cool. And you get a lot of information just at one glance, I think. So let me ask you about color. Mm -hmm. uh, why is color so important? Why do brands need color forecasting? Mm -hmm. Well, um, just to dive in there straight away, color is the single most important parameter within design, full stop. It is the first thing people notice about anything. It's the first thing that captures you uh, like on an emotional level. Obviously, everything I'm going to say now, I have to make maybe explain a little bit. That's obviously for visually not impaired people. But if you are um, able to, to fully see, then about 80 to 90 percent of all the information you ever take in is actually visual. And we know from really in-depth research that about 90% of all purchasing decisions are really down to a product's color. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's not only the color, but the itself really has that strong of an impact. So when brands understand how they communicate with color, they can really make sure that their message is understood. And at the end of the day, it's often the colors that are chosen that will make or break whether the storytelling around the product or service is actually believable. Unfortunately, so many brands do know about it and sometimes this is actually misused as well. So we all know about greenwashings when brands actually choose colors that seemingly look natural, but in reality, the product isn't at all or sustainable. But focusing on the positive side, when you're choosing the right colors for yourself or your brand or your message, you can really make sure that you actually you know, get in touch with the right audience for you for that product because you can actually frame that and tell that story faster with color than with any other message and any other medium. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about, uh, what is the process of finding the next colors, the next it color? <laughs> or um, Well, obviously there is a lot of in-depth research. So it's... Um, a lot of visual research, but obviously every color trend forecaster that I know also reads a lot about insight and researches on um, consumer behaviors as well. But just diving into the, the visual research, I think 
every trend forecaster I know in general and not just specifically the ones specialized on, on design or um, color. I think we're all really curious people. Generally, we walk around the world with really nice. Um, I mean, we've, we've spoken before. It's, I can say it's the same thing for you. Uh, I don't know how it is for you, but I feel that the people I know within the industry, we never really switch off. So I don't think that my job and my, my private life are actually separate entities. So you will always see me walking around with my phone, taking images left, right and center. Whenever I see something fascinating, mm -hmm. I take a photo and then I will cluster all the information like really regularly and to see these emerging patterns. Um, so I think it's, it's not one thing that you could say, but rather it's a process of being really observant, having a deep understanding of the world around you, but staying as open as possible as you can and to try and filter all those informations that you see and make sure that you actually understand what's behind it. So connecting the dots and actually tying it in with other information that you have is probably the thing forwards. But in reality, to go a bit more, more into, into detail, so when there is actually um, color trend forecasters like myself working, it's not just walking around and taking photos. It's really an in-depth research. You cluster the information you have. And one of the most important aspects, I would say, is to contact with other uh, industry professionals, like have those discussions, really talk about it, have trend panels and so on. So I'm on several projects with other, with other professionals as well, and we share our information because obviously I'm only at one point in the world but there's other people that have different mm -hmm. when we're doing mm -hmm. forecasts it's really important to have these rich conversations with other people as well and have those discussions and find uh, solutions and uh, actually pitch to each other what we're seeing and usually the interesting thing is that the global color trends really work that way that now that we have social media they spread faster than ever um, mm -hmm. have also the opportunity to communicate with each other much more and to do more visual researching areas that we have never actually traveled to. Yeah. And it's a very general question, I know, but why is there such a thing as an it color or a color of the season or the color of a generation? If we think the millennial pink or these kind of things, are these just um, uh, communication media hypes or, or is it really true that, I mean, I saw Pantone, the yellow um, and the gray. Is that really something uh, that is a thing, a color of the year or the season? Um, I'll probably give you a much more critical answer than most people in my industry would dare to say there. Um, so to say that there is one color of the year, that's in honesty a marketing tool, you know. I think this world is too com complex to diluted down to just like just one color is, is just not enough in my opinion. It started with Pantone um, announcing these colors of the year and I feel that often their research around it is, is really is really good but to pin it down to one color in my opinion uh, is just not enough. Personally I was really shocked with Pantone choosing um, this yellow and the greatest season because from the perspective of really someone professionally working in color it made no sense this year. We're all moving away from gray on a global scale and I think the reality is, of course, I have not been in this panel, but I assume that they've chosen a yellow that they knew is basically unworkable for most industries. And they probably got scared and added the gray to it to just dull it down. <laughs> yeah. That's what I happened, happened there. I mean, Illuminating, I think, was chosen for its name. 
I think they have done more subtler research before, like often they have chosen colors of the year that really were true. We remember probably all when they chose the soft pink with the blue. That was really something that emerged in all the color panels I had been on in that year. We all realized that actually this soft pink with a soft blue were combinations that were really, really um, important. However, I think that the colors of the year are a good thing in general because it just gives an easy platform for people to talk about color and actually the global interest shows that people are interested to learn more about colors and there are examples of companies doing it quite well so for instance Dulux is also choosing a color of the year but usually what they do they embed it with different colors as well so they will explain more about how you could use this one color and actually work it uh, in a way that actually it works with you so for me personally um Whenever I work on colors for a certain period, I wouldn't just say for the year, but, you know, a certain um, amount of time. It really depends on which project I'm working on. But I personally think the way forward is not to announce one color of the year, but to actually have a few colors selected. Because I think this world is too complex to just choose one color. I think we need to communicate in color rooms and color combinations much more because you just always need color in context. So when I develop a palette I always make sure that I have a really good balance of more subtler and more uh, bold colors more accent colors because it just completely depends on what you're doing so um, if you want to have certain colors for for a season which is actually something that we we do see of course um, color is everywhere and you could find any color anytime if you really wanted to but the truth is when you're doing research, you really notice that there are color groups emerging that are just more important for our season. So in total, mm -hmm. I would say it does make sense. I think it's just really important how you communicate it. And for instance, um, I'm one of the external color professionals working for RAL Colors, and that's a color system. So we also do a color forecast. At the moment, we're working on a trend publication for um, 22 plus. We actually are really firm about it. We want to say 22 plus because we don't think that the colors we will choose will only be valid for next year and then they expire. Actually, we're choosing colors where we know they are important as of 22 onwards or more important. You can already start using it when we will publish it in November, but they won't have an expiry date as such. So I think there's different approaches to it. And I personally think it's better if we communicate in color, color rooms and color companies rather than just always going down the super simple route. It just doesn't do our world. Yeah, something you said now at the end of this answer already brings me to the next question, which is sustainability, which is, of course, yes. a big topic in trend forecasting. And I think probably very easily to understand and criticize with color forecasting. Why do you need new colors every season? It, it, it doesn't sound sustainable. And... Um, also, like you were saying now, you're doing colors for 22 plus so that they're more sustainable. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, can you say a bit more about sustainability in your industry? Definitely. So, I mean, I'm in a super lucky position. You know, I'm, I'm self-employed and obviously I have the opportunity to say on my feeds whatever I stand for. That's not always the case when you're working for an agency. We have to be completely honest about it. Sometimes we are pushed by, by our clients to do certain things that we probably don't think is the right thing to do. 
luckily with me being self-employed, I can actually choose with, with brands I'm working for. And the truth is I'm talking so much about sustainability and fairness and so on that in reality, um, brands that really don't care about equity and the environment probably know that they don't approach me to work with because they know that I will, you know, <laughs> but whenever I work with brands, it's brands that are slightly open to it. And we have those, those discussions, you know, because I personally am really an advocate for seasonless design. I try as much as possible because I think it is the way forwards in reality. People don't throw away everything just because spring has ended and now it's the autumn season. In reality, in people's home, it's more like a layering of lots of things on top of each other. And it's kind of what works. Um, but I think the industry is sometimes not there yet. So I have clients where they understand that seasonless would be a good thing for the environment, but they're still in those circles of the production lines and the shops ask them to have new things all the time. Mm -hmm. So I moment we're at this transitioning point and my approach is that I am really honest with with the brands I give them guidance in the different directions we're going but I will also work with the brands that's not quite there where they want to be because I feel if I only work with brands that are fully sustainable as well then actually I'm having less of an impact on on the industry so I have noticed that when you're honest with brands and when you're trying to encourage them to be more sustainable every year most of them are on board. So many of the decisions are just, you need to start with information first. And um, I think we are becoming more aware recently that we are seeing the same problems we had with fast fashion now with fast home decor as well. So many of the brands um, are aware of it, but they haven't found a way around it. Um, so that's where I go in and try and support them as, as much as possible because there really are ways of working more sustainable. So when I get free reign, for instance, um, when I work on a project where a company is actually really open for it, what I try and do, for instance, is I take some of the colors that were in the last season and will incorporate them into the new color palette. It's okay. mm -hmm. a really simple step when you say it out loud like this, but there aren't many people actually working like this because for a designer, when you start really clean slate and you can do whatever you want that season, it's much easier for you. But whenever I take a few of the colors from the last season and incorporate them into the new color palette, and actually I'm doing so much research, like I know what will come next anyways. When I think into that as well a little bit, that makes sure that it's easier to incorporate products, for instance, that had not been sold the previous season. I've worked in um, retail and visual merchandising before previously, and I actually know what happens. So a lot of the products that can't be sold will be thrown away. So they will end up in landfill. So if you make sure that it's easier for a shop or for visual merchandisers to actually combine old things that couldn't be sold in a season and actually take it into the next year's you know, shop display, yeah. that actually is a step towards sustainability that has nothing to do with dye materials. Because a lot of the time when you talk about color and sustainability, the talk will only be around dyeing techniques. Um, there is obviously potential there, but I think there are other ways of design thinking also to make the industry more sustainable. And that's one of the jobs that I'm there to do, to actually make brands see the bigger picture. But I also think that um, we will now see a lot of... Um, efforts to make the, the products we're actually dying with more sustainable. So you've probably noticed 
a lot of undyed materials recently or actually working with materials inherent colors that's yeah. obviously one of the things that we're seeing currently as well and it's one of the efforts or one of the many efforts to make the industry more sustainable i think there is just so much potential and we've only just started that is extremely interesting and i really uh, appreciate your take on this all uh, it opens up a lot of pathways in my head just now <laughs> that's really great so how did you uh get into this field how did you become a trend forecaster and uh with that focus on color mm -hmm. uh, that is really a super long story um i can't say it all in, in, in all that detail but i think it really i maybe i'll start with a little anecdote yeah Basically, I was always interested in color and how things look. So my mom tells this story, like the, the first color story she remembers with me. So she went to the local supermarket with me. I lived in this small village close to Salzburg back then. And um, we just went grocery shopping. And she, I was so little. She, she, said, she said I was something between two and three years old. She can't fully remember. But I was so small that she put me in the shopping basket. You know, that little flip thing yeah, where yeah. you can get the little child I was really, really small. I was at the stage where I was speaking already, but not full, like full on sentences yet. And so one of the, one of the staff members came over. I mean, it was this village people knew each other and she was showing something to me. And she asked me if I want the, the yellow or the red thing. My mom couldn't remember what the thing was, but apparently I was this tiny little girl that wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I said to the, the woman from the shop, that's not red, that's orange. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's just naturally been a thing. I mean, obviously it was nourished by my mom because obviously she was uh, my primary caregiver. So she must have taught me the word orange before. Um, but it was just one of those things that just naturally came to me. But to go a bit deeper into it in terms of like how I got into it. In total now I've professionally worked in design and with color and interior design for the last 15 years. I have done a pretty different or taken a pretty different route than most people that I know. So I've worked in color before I actually studied color design. So I have an honors degree in a uh, first class honors degree in color design. And I mm -hmm. specialize in forecasting for interior design and trends as well in that. But my journey began much earlier. So in Austria, the school system is a bit different than in many countries. So I did a school where I did my A-levels that was already also focused a lot around design. So for five years, in my teenage years, I would go to a school where, of course, I learned math, English and geography and chemistry and all of that as well. But the focus really also was design. So from 14 to 19 years old, I had 20 hours of design every week. So for five years, wow. that was mm -hmm. my upbringing. Um, back then, the focus was, was graphic design, but we had a lot of art history and so on as well. So I was naturally geared towards the design industries. And so when I was 20 years old, I opened my first business, my first color consultancy business. It just happened. I just, I just got into it. I pitched an idea at a young entrepreneurs forum with an idea to start a business. And all of a sudden I had people that were interested in actually buying my services <laughs> and um, just the things that I had just naturally done for all the people around me as a teenager, you know, helping my auntie and, and those things. I just always thought, everyone can do this because I just always did it. And then I realized, oh, actually not everyone can do it. It's actually a talent. So I pitched mm -hmm. my idea, one that had some clients and the next week I registered my business when I was 20 years old. And um, yeah, just continued, I just continued working. You know, I did color consultancies for rooms. I did um, wedding styling. I still, I still did a bit of graphic design. And um, 
yeah, then it was just personal reasons really that my, my, my life changed a little bit. So I had a previous boyfriend back then. He moved from the UK to Austria for me. So he didn't speak a word of German and all of a sudden my income was enough for me, but it wasn't enough for two people. So I had to take on a part-time job in a shop selling homewares, which I did next to me being self-employed. And that then led into a full-time job in visual merchandising. That then led into a full-time job <laughs> premium furniture. We moved to Munich. Then I worked as an event stylist for you know a, a company where, for instance, I did the flower, floral arrangements in the VIP area for the Allianz Arena. Um, I then sold premium furniture again, opened another business. Um, so I was then working part-time selling premium furniture and part-time running my own business, doing color consultancies for rooms, architecture, but also color consultancies for which colors suit people. And then I was 28 years old. My business was going well. And um, I was at this point where I thought, okay, if I'm actually fully throw myself into this now, I can skip the part-time job now and actually live off it. But there was this thing inside me um, that I wanted to have a full education, like a fully recognized, you know, um, education in color design. I mean, obviously, I had done lots of courses mm -hmm. all, all along around color and design. I've done so many things. I've read nonstop about it. Um, but I was 28 and I thought, if I don't do a degree now, I will never do it. So I gave it all up, moved to northern Germany and studied, studied color design where I just fully focused on interior design and trend forecasting within the industry. Um, it's a really interesting space. So it's um, a uni where you have a lot of choice where you can gear your degree around special interests you have. So none of the people I've studied with has the same, I would say, um, expertise that I do because all of us chose different things to shape our, our path. Mm -hmm. And um, so I fully focused on all those things that I had done before. So at, by the time I graduated at 31, I already had 11 years of work experience in design. And that was the reason why I landed a job straight away at a trend forecasting agency in the UK. And I took on the creative lead on their home and interiors trend publications, which was a huge step for me because that meant for the first time moving to a different country and taking on the lead of a team speaking in a, in a different language. But I absolutely loved my job and um, it was a fantastic fantastic journey to work with all these other trend forecasters that were from a different era because before when I was at the uni I was a color design tutor and I freelanced at the research institute as a trend researcher already and uh, I'm now actually an associate at this, at this research institute and we're working on projects with each other and uh, yeah it was then personal reasons for me to to leave the agency because I just wanted to not live in Northeast England anymore. And then I decided mm -hmm. to self-employed, which I did last year. I've just celebrated my one year going self-employed anniversary yes. in, with the services that I'm doing now, like working for international companies. And it's been a fantastic journey so far. Yeah. And yeah, still collaborating with uh, actually many of the people I've worked with before. Thanks for sharing your path. I think uh, it's it's a, in my opinion, it's, it's somehow a, a really uh, typical trend forecaster's journey. It's like doing this and that and always staying on a track, but trying out a lot of things. And uh, because yeah. you see, of course, you said before, you're very curious. You're always open for new things. And you try this, you try that. And uh, that is one of the qualities I think we have. <laughs> but it also makes us jump around quite a lot in our career path. Yeah, like... <laughs> 
you don't want to hear mine <laughs> africa and everything but um yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's uh, and you also mentor uh, young uh, students I've seen on your LinkedIn. And uh, I think there's a lot of knowledge that you're passing on. And it's very, very valuable. That's great to hear. So um, if we look a bit at the micro trends and the macro trends that are going on at the moment, uh, you've mentioned it a little bit before that the colors are becoming more uh, real and earthy. I don't know if I'm using the right words. We'll hear now from you. So what are those? What are the main trends influencing colors at the moment? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to first talk about the macro micro trends and then jump yeah. into the colors? So there is no straight answer to this because basically color influences every aspect of our lives. Um, so it really depends on when I talk about the macro trends influencing color which industry we're talking about and which segment of that industry. So if we say um, <clears throat> it's completely different which color trends influence um, colors for wall colors to if you want to choose an accent that goes on a sneaker somewhere. So I'll okay. quickly take an example um, of interior designs. So that's my specialism. And then within that, if you say, look at the colors that influence decisions um, for just life at home. So this is a small segment that's yeah. different colors influencing life in hospitality or for instance colors that are important in interiors for um for offices um but for instance the trends that are influencing life at home are really varied so the macro trends are really from individualization so we're seeing people express themselves a lot more with with interior design actually for a lot of people how their interior looks has become more important than what they wear um mm -hmm. we also obviously at home that the macro trend new work is influencing because more and more people are actually starting to work from home. So that influences color decisions in the home as well, because you're not just going home to cook um, and then relax. You're actually working there all the time, for instance. Obviously, the mega trends urbanization play a huge role. We've now seen the pandemic that when you can't go outside, that means that you actually want to change something within your home. Globalization is a massive macro trend influencing as well. We're now actually conversing with each other. I mean, we're living quite close, but we've never met in real life. No. But the way I converse with you, I will speak with people in Brazil, or I will speak with a trend forecaster in Australia, or I will speak with, um, like later this, this month, I will speak to a lady in, in Tehran. So um, we see all those things. We get these in, you know, inspirations from all around the world. Neo-ecology is important, sustainability is important, but also things that are often not talked about that influence design decisions would be the general gender shift and a rising awareness around um, gender and identity. Yeah. So we're moving away from, from cliches. And um, I think in general, we also notice that there is a more holistic understanding of, of health these days. So color has really an important impact on our well-being and we see more people than ever just understanding that with colors they can actually enhance the, the well-being so in total i would say it really depends on the industry you're working in and there's always many factors that you have to look at if you want to make sure that you're choosing the right colors mm -hmm. for you know a certain so is there even yes. an answer to my next question what what are the main colors for 2022 and beyond Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I have signed some NDAs, so I can't really talk about everything <laughs> what's going to be what will, what will be published. 
I'll first give you maybe a little bit more of a broader answer and then I, I choose one color that I will talk about. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest trend in color design at the moment, and that's not just for 2022, is um, just the next years forwards. The biggest trend in color design currently is more color. Basically, people get braver to use color. We see more brave combinations. So what's coming to the fore, for instance, is really an appetite for interesting color combinations, things that would have not been combined before. Mm -hmm. We also that, for instance, natural colors are now actually combined with more bolder, really artificial colors. So you will have maybe a natural color scheme with quite muddy beiges and so on, and then you inject an acid yellow to it or, or something else. You know, so quite interesting combinations is is one of the. Uh, one of the big things moving forwards. Another thing we've talked about before as well, we will see this shift of um, actually using the inherent colors within materials, actually using unbleached materials. That's also definitely something that will impact the industry heavily. So you will notice that a lot of the, I would say, chalky whites or actually linen whites or just, you know, all these oatmeal shades will replace a lot of the standard whites in the recent years mm -hmm. re forwards. Consumers are starting to get ready to actually accept that not everything has the same color anymore, that when we're using some of the net more natural materials, that there will be a little bit of a variation within it. And I think that will influence the industry on a large scale over the next years. That's only going to be to be more. I know that was super vague, so I'd no, like to No, no, actually, actually, I, I'm kind of thinking that I've seen this. I've been yeah. really drawn to... Um, you know, with my brand colors and doing my business cards, now I have this blue, but I've also looked at, of course, the beige is a base color for me. And I've been really liking this earthy beige with an injection of neon yellow. And now you're saying this is actually something that's coming. And I've been seeing it around quite a yeah. bit. Uh, have, have a very bright blue, a very bright neon color on something very earthy. So um, I think that's quite specific, actually, and a great tip for people listening for their, uh, the, the colors. But you said there's one color you actually want to talk about more. You, you all see this. It's, I think it's no coincidence we both have an ultramarine blue next to no us. No way! So yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, ultramarine blue is a color that people currently need. So actually, for everyone listening, before uh, the two of us met, um, we both had already decided our branding colors, I, so, I, I, I know. Um, so it's no, no coincidence, I think. I mean, as said, colors are always around and it could have been a coincidence that we both, you know, accidentally have the I, same I branding. I don't think so. But it <laughs> <No>. is. <laughs> ultramarine blue, I mean, it's not one color. When we talk about mm -hmm. ultramarine blue, we have to make sure that we still understand it is a color group. There is certain colors within that that will be phrased as ultramarine, but it's one of those colors that people are craving at the moment. Um, I love this color. I would never wear it on the top half of my body because it just doesn't suit my, my, my skin type, you know? But um, I love having it around at the moment. It's just one of those colors that people are actually drawn towards. In the research I've, I've done in previous years, it was already noticeable that ultramarine blues will have um, an impact as of 21 forwards. Obviously, when I did the in-depth research in 2019, that would have been, I couldn't know that the corona crisis would happen and what impact that would have on the world. But what happened was that the colors we already knew would be more important 
have become more important. So those hero colors that I already knew in 2019 would be big as of 21 forwards are now accelerated and people are actually trying out the more daring combinations where back then we knew that would be interesting for people at the forefront and the avant-garde. And now we're actually noticing that some of those braver combinations have trickled down faster to the early adopters than we would have, would have thought because of global events just changing all of us, uh, our surroundings. And I think the ultramarine blue is so important because it's a color that just gives us really a sense of focus. It's got really a strong energy. It's really high energy. It's, it's super confident. It's got a depth. It's got a glow. And it just radiates creativity and just opens up your mind. And I think that's the reason why it's been chosen by so many people recently as a really quite brave accent color um, to use when they hadn't thought that they needed so much a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. And is it also, do you, do you have a personal favorite color in, in that sense? Or does your color, uh, the, the colors that you love also change, like the trends change? So I can see you have a very colorful wall behind you. Do you change that every season? How do you, how do you personally live with color? Um, I personally don't have a favorite color. Um, I think I just love color because for me, I always see color in context. You know, I have favorite colors for certain things, you know, like I have colors that I would wear. So many people that know me personally think that pink is my favorite color because I mean, I've got a pink tinge in my hair, I've got pink glasses and about 60% of my wardrobe are some kind of pink. I mean, it's quite specific pinks. It's between blush and rosé because well, I'm a color consultant, you know, um, so I know which kind of pink I would wear and which kind of pink I would not wear. But pink isn't my favorite color at all. It's just my black. It's the, my no-brainer when I don't wake up because I just know no matter how tired I am, I will always be okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but that doesn't mean that I would want pink on any other things, for instance. I think it really, with, with me, it's about choosing the right colors for the right purpose and when I work with brands it's extremely important to dis you know distance yourself from your personal taste I think it's one of the things that I can struggle with but I think it's one of the qualities I have I can really focus on a project on a product because I don't have a favorite color I really look at what is needed there and choose the right colors for that so I think what I'm hoping for or my, my favorite colors for the future I would say would be colors that are selected more carefully, colors that are human-centered and colors that are more ecological. But that obviously means a wide array and just a more open mind and just, um, yeah, looking at, at it more holistically and just making sure that we're not just choosing colors that are right for us, but also for the people that are affected around it. Mm -hmm. That's a really nice uh, end for our talk here. We could go on forever. <laughs> this is so interesting. And I would love to dive in more uh, with colors and especially this ultramarine blue. We have to talk again. <laughs> this is super, super interesting. Thank you so much, Alina. And um, yeah, I just want to say again, check out Alina's Instagram. It's really, really good and gives you an impression of what's next, what future colors are on the way. And uh, of course, also Alina is uh, working on super interesting projects and we're going to be following her and hopefully talk to her again soon. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank it was you. really lovely. Lovely Bye. talking to you too. Bye. Bye.
Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining. So we've already reached the end of this episode. Thank you for staying on all the way through. I'm really excited to have you here. And if you liked what you're hearing, please subscribe to this podcast, Tomorrow Stories, here on Spotify or on Apple Podcast. And if you like, you can always get in touch with us via our website, tomorrowstories.com, or via our Instagram account, Tomorrow Stories. Until next time, take care.